0: Praise Him, praise Him. Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. Standing as we sing.
1: standing for prayer. Brother Marshall, would you pray for us, please? Thank you. May be seated unless you celebrate our birthday or an anniversary. We'd like to recognize you at this time.
2: Praise the Lord. It's good to be in church today. Amen. Well, I tell you, God is so good. I want to thank you for your prayers. Uh, we were able to go and, uh, held a revival down in Spokane, Missouri, uh, last week and, uh, had great results, had lots of people at the altars. So I want to thank you for praying. And I believe that God does his work because of prayer. And so I want to thank you uh, for praying about that. And, uh, Then, if you would, a few things from the bulletin today following the morning or afternoon service. Following the afternoon service, we're going to have a short business meeting, so I'd encourage you to be here for that. We need to vote on whether or not we're going to continue with the early afternoon service, and then we want to uh, talk about a sign, vote about that, and so we need to do that. Uh, So if you can be here, that'd be great. Uh, Ladies' meeting uh, will be coming up this Friday. Uh, down at Sombro's at 5.30. Uh, They've reserved a room down there. So ladies, um, it'd be great for you to get down there at 5.30, have a great time of fellowship. Uh, Men's Recharge, uh, this Friday and Saturday, we'll be having a short meeting after the meeting uh, this afternoon about that. So men going, uh, you can make your final arrangements and so forth, get ready uh, to go to recharge. Looking forward to it. Brother Sam's going to be preaching and uh, then we'll have Brother Paul Gentry and Brother John Roy. And then Brother Roy's going to come home with us. He's going to preach here uh, next Sunday. Looking forward to having him. And uh, this is the Peterson's friends from when they were associates uh, at the church in Phoenix. And now he is the pastor there. And uh, I've heard Brother John before. He's a great blessing. I know he'll be a bl- blessing to us next Sunday. So I encourage you to be here. Uh, outreach October 1st at 9 o'clock. And then uh, our revival will start October 2nd through the 5th. Going to have Brother Bruce Humbert with us. And uh, as I was telling the people uh, down in Spokane, I said, you know, I said, it's going to go really quick. And by the time we got to Sunday night, half of the revival was over. Because it's six six meetings, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night. And Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. So if you miss Sunday, you miss half the revival. Or if you can only make Sunday, you get half the revival. So I'd encourage you to plan uh, just to be with us. Brother Humbert will be a blessing, and I encourage you to be here. Uh, We need to grant a letter, and this is for Jared Foster. He joined with Southwest Baptist Church, and I know we really don't want him to, but he needs to for school. Uh, join be a part of that church there all in favor a good hearty amen anyone opposed okay mom let's just be careful there all right uh it'll pass quick he'll be back with us and uh but we are excited that he is joined there excited he's in school there and uh, hopefully you're praying for him every day remember as you're doing your devotion just a great time have him there on your prayer list pray for him uh, that he can learn all the good stuff he needs to learn. Maybe he'll be a record learner and he'll get out of here early. That would be one way to do it. So uh, anyhow, pray for Brother Jared as he's down in school. It's good to be in the Lord's house today. God bless you for being here. Going to have Brother Foster come, Lisa, and another song, and then we'll get to our Sunday school time. Lord bless you. We'll sing hymn number 66
1: at Calvary, the first and the last verses. number 66. Sunday school classes. Okay, you draw any... Not what you think. <laughs> All right? That's because it's titled, it's not what you think. <laughs> All right? It's not what you think. All right, let's find our place in Isaiah 55. So uh, many things in the Bible, if we look at them from a human perspective or try to apply human reasoning, a lot of things just don't make sense. Yes. Oh, A lot of things just don't make sense um, when we try to look at them in our human point of view. But we understand, as seasoned Christians in here, hopefully, that uh, it's better for us just to follow what the Word of God says. And there's many things that we're going to look at here, 13 lessons of different uh, uh, topics along this line. Uh, you know, it's just not what we think it is, and uh, God's way is best, and that's what we seek to, to find out and what we seek to uh, align with as we go through these series of lessons. So lesson number one kind of sets the stage for us in Isaiah 55, and you're probably familiar with this portion of Scripture, and we'll read it here in just a moment, um, But we must understand that in this world and in this life that we live, and that God is always at work. You know, sometimes we may think, well, you know, what exactly is going on? What is God doing? But know this that God is always at work, even though we may not see it. And this truth provides comfort to us. When we look to the Word of God and we find uh, what God's plan is for this world, we can find comfort, even in these times of uh, where we see the moral decline going on around us, where we see uh, uh, the degrading of society, uh, we can find hope and we can find comfort in the truth of the Word of God. So this first lesson is uh, on the topic of trusting and obeying, and it's, it's a song that we're familiar with, it's a song that we teach our children, it's a song that we sing here in the congregationals, uh, but it's something that we must learn to live by, that we must trust God and we must certainly obey Him. So, when we set the stage for this lesson, we we need to consider the thoughts um, along this line. Have we ever considered or looked at someone and made an assumption about them or looked at a situation and we thought that an outcome was going to be a certain way and come to find out it just wasn't that way? It just wasn't that way. And that just should reaffirm in our mind and, and in the wisdom that we apply to situations that we don't know everything. Uh, we certainly don't know everything, we don't know the outcome, um, and we find in these situations where we make those assumptions, we're often wrong, and the reality was opposite of what we were thinking. There's a story that goes uh, like this about a Chinese uh, uh, farmer, and he, was, he had worked his crops for many years, and I'm sure many of you are have been around farms of, you know, of the older generation. Some of the younger generation don't even know where milk comes from. Um, but thankfully in this room I think we all understand those things and we've probably been around a farm, maybe even grew up on a farm. Uh, so we understand it takes a lot of work to get those crops to produce and to prepare the soil to, to provide those crops so that they would have the most potential. So one day his horse ran away and upon hearing the news his neighbors came to visit him. He said, they said, such bad luck. And he says to them in response, maybe. The next morning, the horse returned, bringing with it three other wild horses. How wonderful, the neighbors exclaimed. Maybe, the old man replied. The following day, his son tried to ride one of the untamed horses, was thrown and broke his leg. The neighbors again came to offer their sympathy on his misfortune. What do you think his answer was? Maybe. Maybe. The day after, military officials came to the village to draft young men into the army, seeing that the son's leg was broken. They passed him by. The neighbors congratulated the farmer on how well things had turned out. The farmer said, maybe. (laughs) This parable can go on and on. But the fact of the matter is that we don't have enough information to accurately interpret the facts. We don't know what lies ahead. But I'm thankful we serve a God who does. In actuality, our point of view is always different from God's point of view, and that brings us to our text, Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And His ways are better than our ways. We must always remember that. You know, we, we look at situations, we look at this life, and we, we want to make decisions about it, but it would be of good wisdom that we would petition the Lord, that He would direct us, that He would guide us, and understanding that His ways are much higher than ours. God sees the whole picture. You see, we go through life with blinders on. We can only see what is directly in front of us, but God sees the whole panoramic picture the whole view. He knows exactly what's going on and what's going to happen. So what we assume is so often different from what the Bible tells us is true. For instance, we think trials bring only pain. But what does God say about them? He says that they bring growth. We think the way to get is to keep. God says the way to receive is to give. We think the greatest person has the highest position. God says the greatest is a servant. We think that when someone hurts us, we should get even. God says that when someone hurts us, we should bless them. We think God uses great people. God says He uses insignificant people. In almost every area of our life, our natural thoughts run contrary to what Scripture teaches. If we understand that to be true, then we ought to be cautious of our thoughts. And we ought to, again, console, or to uh, consult God on the matter, and get his wisdom and get his insight on what decisions we should make. In fact, a large component of the process of Christian growth is having our minds renewed. What does that mean, renewed? It means to make new, to be transformed from worldly thinking to biblical thinking. And that's uh, one of the reasons we went through the last series. We want to have a biblical worldview. We want to understand things from a Bible perspective. That's where our foundation needs to be, and that's where our decisions need to come from, is from that biblical worldview. Romans twelve two reminds us of what should take place in our minds, after salvation, it says, "And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." So, the Bible is telling us that there needs to be a change in the way that you think. He says, "Transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, and acceptable, and perfect will of God." So. As we consider these thoughts throughout this series, we will look at 13 Bible truths that run contrary to our natural way of thinking, but as we embrace and follow these Bible principles, we experience growth in our Christian life, and we will also experience the unexpected blessings that come through following God's plan. So the first principle we will see in this study is that we cannot understand God's plan but we can still walk by faith. And that's what this life is all about in the Christian walk, As we are to walk by faith because we don't see everything. Understanding our God does. So we're walking by faith, trusting Him. So we simply trust and obey. This truth is the foundational truth of all the principles we will review in this study. In fact, it is the foundational truth to our walk with God which is a walk of faith. So we must have this principle grounded in our life that doesn't matter what I perceive things to be, I'm going to trust God and I'm going to obey Him no matter what. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 reminds us of the truth that we, for we walk by faith, not by sight. How many of us are tempted to make decisions upon what we see? I'll be the first to raise my hand. We, we're quick to want to make decisions on what we see and what we can can grab hold of and what we can understand with our minds. But the Bible calls us to a much higher walk than that. A walk that is trusting and obeying God, walking by faith, not by sight. Hebrews eleven six says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So remember, our purpose for living on this earth is to bring pleasure to God. And the Bible here is telling us that if we are going to bring pleasure to God, we have to walk by faith. We have to place our trust in Him. We have to allow Him to direct our paths. So if we're going to receive what is best and experience life to the fullest, we must be willing to walk by faith and trust God no matter what He asks us to do. Remember, God never asks us to do anything that we are not able to do with His strength. What does Philippians 4.13 tell us? It tells us, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. God will strengthen you to do what He's calling you to do. He will enable you to do it. God will ask us to do things that we don't understand. He will ask us to do things that are impossible in our eyes. He will ask us to do things that are opposite of how we think they should be done. There's a lot of things going on in this world today that are being done that are contrary to the way I think they should be done. And we would probably all raise our hand that there's a lot of things going on in the political realm that we don't agree with. And you're rightfully so in that assumption and, what, and that decision. But the reason we stand on those and we come to those decisions, should be because of a biblical principle that we are following. Everything that we decide to do, every thought that we have, everything that uh, uh, changes the behavior of our life should be focused then on the Word of God and the principles we find therein. So as we follow God, He's going to ask us to do things for Him. And as we have this petition of God to us to do certain things, we might say that I'm inadequate, we might say that I don't, I don't see how you can work through this situation, but if God's asking us to do it, trust this, that God will strengthen you to do it, that God will enable you. So the way we respond to what God asks must be by faith. If we are going to experience all that God would have for us, we must trust and obey Him. So as we consider this principle of trusting and obeying, we can find many, many examples in the Word of God of those who did so, and we see the result of it. So the Bible is full of these kinds of stories. People to do, asking God, uh, God is asking people to do things that are humanly nonsensical or impossible. Isn't it exciting to see those stories where God asks of His people or a person to do something, and they question it and they say, I don't know how you're going to do it, God, but they follow through and then see God perform a miracle on their behalf. It's wonderful, and that's what God wants to do in our lives. So, we'll see three stories today. We'll see how many we get through, but we're going to look at three stories in this lesson how God always turns things out for the best when people trust and obey. So, the first one we want to look at is that of Naaman's need. Naaman's need. So, our Christian journey begins by trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. We don't come to Christ on our terms. So we come to him on his terms. We simply trust the payment Jesus already made and obey him by calling out to him for salvation. We're trusting him and we're obeying his plan for salvation. There's a story in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 5, if you'd turn there, 2 Kings chapter 5, that illustrates this truth. The story is of Naaman, a high ranking official in the Syrian army. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1 in 2 Kings chapter 5. It says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria? For he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go, too, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive? And this man thus send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariots and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee. And thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and went away, and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and strike his hand over the place, and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away. In rage. So Naaman had a preconceived idea, didn't he, of how this would play out. Uh, he wanted it to go a certain way. So this text here finds Naaman, the captain of the host, the king of Syria, with leprosy. And we understand in the Bible that leprosy was one of the most feared diseases that, at that time, taking the lives of, the most, of most of them who contracted it. Thankfully, in the story, we see the faith of a little servant girl. She believed in God and what he could do. She told Naaman's wife that there was a prophet of God in Israel who could heal Naaman of his leprosy. And this was amazing faith on the part of this young maid. For up to this point, we have no record of anyone being healed of leprosy. Naaman went to Israel and directly to Elisha's house. Elisha, however, did not go out to meet Naaman but instead sent a messenger with instructions to Naaman to wash himself in the Jordan River seven times. We see the response of Naaman. He was furious. He wanted to be healed, but he wanted it to be done his way. In short, Naaman's thinking was different from God's thinking. You can see this especially in verse 11 of the text where Naaman said, Behold, I thought. (laughs) That's where we get into trouble. We need to be careful of our thoughts. Naaman had thought the prophet of God would come to, face, come to face him and call upon the Lord in an elaborate way, in an elaborate ceremony. Naaman thought the rivers of Syria were far nicer than the muddy Jordan. Everything that Naaman thought was the opposite of God's plan. If it had not been for the bold and tactful encouragement of Naaman's servants, he would have never been healed. And as it was, he listened to their advice and followed Elisha's instructions. When Naaman exercised faith through obedience, God healed him from the leprosy. 2 Kings five thirteen through 14 let's continue reading. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, would, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like under the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Naaman needed cleansing from this leprosy. But the greatest need of all, that all of us have, is a cleansing from sin. We often see in the Bible that uh, we see that correlation of leprosy to that of sin. And it's often used as a picture of sin in the Bible. Naaman's story is a picture of God's way of cleansing us from sin. For all of us are born sinners, and this is a condition that is passed down to us from Adam. And it is one that we choose as well. Romans 3, 23 reminds us of this truth. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no exception. All of the human race has sinned, and all of the human race has come short of the glory of the glory of God. And why is this? It's because of Adam's original sin, Romans 5:12. Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So we don't find cleansing from our sin through our good works or through our church attendance or even through baptism. We might think these things, and as we talk to people and witness to people, that this is their mindset, that they think some of these things will help them attain favor with God. But salvation doesn't come from works at all. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we're familiar with these verses. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's all of God. It's man coming to God with simple obedience and faith in what God has has provided through Jesus Christ, His Son, in the death, burial, and resurrection. Rather, cleansing from our sin comes only through the blood of Jesus Christ. Titus 3:5 Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. First Peter one eighteen. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but without the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. We understand these things to be true. I'm making an assumption that we're all saved in here this morning. If you're not, then understand these verses and accept Jesus Christ by faith, trusting in Him. And obedience. So we understand these things to be so. But as we have opportunity, God gives us, uh, brings people our way that we might be able to witness to them, that we might be able to minister unto them. And this, we have to understand, this is the mindset they come uh, to the conversation with that they don't, they have some preconceived ideas. <laughs> they have some ideas about uh, possibly what salvation is. But we have to declare from the Word of God what God says and what God defines salvation to be. So we have to understand that man's thoughts run contrary to God's thoughts. so it's good for us to remember these things as we go through this lesson. and may you know a lot of these things are familiar to us, but we're dealing with a world that these things are foreign to them, and we have to help them understand biblical truth, help them to see that it's right and it's true. Uh, good for them to do, that they must trust and obey God. And first step of trusting is through salvation. So, have you received forgiveness of sins today? Hopefully we all have. Do you have eternal life? If you've accepted Jesus Christ, you certainly do. There's a story told of a man that you're going to recognize the name when I get to the end of the story. But one Sunday afternoon in Chicago, a group of ball players entered into a saloon. When they emerged, they saw a group of people outside a building playing instruments, singing gospel hymns, and testifying of Christ's power to save from sin. Memories of a log cabin in Iowa and an old church and a godly mother raced through the mind of one of the ball players. Tears came to his eyes. Presently, he said, Boys, I'm through. I'm going to turn to Jesus Christ. We've come to the parting of the ways. Some of his companions mocked him, but others were silent. Only one encouraged him. He turned from the group and entered the Pacific Garden Mission. Later, the ball player told what had occurred I called upon God's mercy. I staggered out of my sins into the outstretched arms of the Savior. I became instantly a new creature in Him. This converted ball, pre- ball player was Billy Sunday, who became the world renowned evangelist. So it's important that we declare God's truth. And here, the Pacific Garden Mission was singing and praising God, just as we did this morning. And there were those there that day that needed to hear it. And on that day, Billy Sunday turned to the Lord Jesus Christ and accepted Him. So if salvation were up to you or me to determine, we probably would devise a plan that didn't require us to simply humbly receive God's gift. Our plan would be like Naaman's. We would want a big fanfare and a special uh, appreciation for our contributions. We we would turn it into something about us. But the plan of salvation isn't up to us. It's up to God. And His plan is that He gave His own life to pay for our sins. And he He offers us forgiveness and a restored relationship with Him all as a free gift. There's nothing better than that. To have the forgiveness of sins and then to be in a right relationship with God, to be able to then have fellowship with Him, to commune with my Creator, there's nothing greater. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. But the good news is this, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We need to rejoice in our salvation today. And we need to be thankful for what God has done. And we need to be thankful to the point that we we are excited to share it with others. There's others out here in this world today that have their ideas of what salvation is. There's many today that have no clue what we mean when we talk about salvation. There are many ignorant and unlearned concerning the things of God. And we are the ones to communicate that truth with them. So we gain another picture of how God sees things differently than we do through a challenge the disciples faced while ministering with Jesus over in the New Testament. So we saw Naaman's need, but now we see the disciples' dilemma. In all four Gospels, we read about a time when Jesus had been teaching a large crowd of people. 5,000 men plus women and children all day. In addition to the passage we'll look at in a moment, this story is also found in Matthew 14, Mark 6, and Luke 9. In the evening, Jesus told the disciples that He wanted to feed the crowd that was gathered. The only problem, the disciples had no food and no money. If if I was faced with that situation, and probably if you were faced with that situation, we would have responded... Similarly to the way the disciples did, when a big crowd comes over to our house, I know who's going to have to feed them. Uh, Thankfully, God's provided that I can do so. But in this situation, they they didn't have the money, they didn't have the food to do so. So they thought this was the end of the story. But Jesus had a different way of thinking. In John chapter six, you can turn there if you'd like, but I'm sure you're familiar with this portion of Scripture. John chapter six and verse one. It says, After these things Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed Him, because they saw His miracles, which He did on them that were diseased. So He had a great following because of the miracles that He was performing. And you can imagine, if, if, uh, if we were living at the time that Jesus was on earth, and we had heard that uh, He was able to heal me of a disease that I had, I would certainly want to find Him. And I'd want to follow Him, and I'd want to find out how can I get this healing that He has been granting. So when Jesus went up into the mountain, and there He sat with His disciples in the Passover, a feast of the Jews was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up His eyes and saw a great company come unto Him, He saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this He said to prove Him, for He Himself knew what He would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them. And they saw the crowd, and they, they looked hungry. There wasn't nearly enough bread for all of them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down and number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves. And when He had given thanks, He distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down. And likewise the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, He said unto His disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments and the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them, That had eaten. So Jesus, in this story, asked Philip, "Where they could buy bread in order to feed the multitude?" So he's he's playing on our thought process. We're gonna we're gonna try and figure out where am I going to get the food? Where am I going to go? And I'm sure that they didn't have any local WalMarts or anything of that nature, or Price Choppers they could go to. So they had a dilemma: where are they going to get this bread to feed the five thousand that were there? So verse 6 specifically tells us that Jesus asked because he wanted to see how Philip would respond. Would he respond in faith? Would he say, wow, I have no idea how we could buy enough bread, but you tell us what you want us to do, Jesus, and we'll do it. And that should be our response. But it's often not, is it? But it should be our response. We should be looking to Jesus and asking him, how would you have us to supply the need? What would you have us to do? Instead of a faith-filled response, Philip pointed out that there was no way they could come up with the money. After all, even 200 pennyworth would not be enough to give everyone just a little bread. So to give us some perspective here on what he was saying, the, the penny Philip referred to was a Roman denarius, equivalent to one day's wage. Thus, the amount Philip mentioned was eight months of wages, and even this wasn't enough to feed the multitude. Andrew must have gone into the crowd looking for food because he knew that there was one person there, a young boy with a small lunch. Or perhaps the boy volunteered his lunch for Jesus. In any case, the barley uh, loaves that made up this meal were the cheap food of the common people. And when Andrew mentioned them to Jesus, he even made the comment, but what are they among so many? In other words, what will this little lunch do to feed the great multitude? And there's a lot of truth here that we can draw from this portion of Scripture and from those statements that we've just made. The disciples were up against an impossible situation. But we need to remember the truth, that little is much when God is in it. When God directs us to do something, we need to understand that He's going to supply for it, that He will meet the need. And I'm sure we could give testimony among this crowd this morning of how God has met our need down through the history of our time here on this earth and supporting our families and supporting our needs and what we've, well, always what we've needed and God has provided. So he's, he's wanting to instill some truth here into the lives of not only the 5,000 that are there, but He's again, he's still training his disciples. And we see from this portion of Scripture they still have a lot to learn because they haven't learned to trust and obey just as they should yet. And often we find ourselves in that same situation. We know what we ought to do. We know we ought to trust. But we want to draw our own conclusions about certain situations. But Jesus, again, He's going to take this as an opportunity to teach them. So Jesus didn't tell them to do something impossible. He simply told them to seat the crowd. So He wasn't asking them necessarily to feed them. What He asked them to do was to seat them. Mark 6.40 says, Tell us, the disciples tells us that the disciples had them sit in the groups of 50s and 100s, which made for counting easier and the distribution easier. So Jesus was setting up what His plan was. Then Jesus broke the bread and fish, and with those five loaves and two small fishes, He fed the entire multitude until they were filled. He used that small offering to meet the need more and more. And what had the disciples done? they certainly didn't produce the miracle they could not have done that they simply obeyed jesus instructions and his instructions were to seat the crowd they trusted and obeyed and god supplied could jesus have rained down manna from heaven certainly he could have but in doing what he did he taught us all a lesson though we may not understand what jesus is going to do or how it will be done we need to trust him and obey him He will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And I'm thankful we serve a God that is involved in our lives in such a way as this. And if we simply trust Him and obey Him with our lives, He's going to supply what we need. He's going to do and work through us things that we would never think possible. There was nothing the disciples could do to meet the need of the people. Jesus knew that all along. And He knows there's things that you're not going to be able to do, but He wants to do things through you. He wants to show Himself uh, through you and what uh, He can do through you. So, but His desire was to show them that He could meet the needs if they would give the little they had to the Lord. If they had refused, they would not have seen the power of God at work in this great way. What God can do with the little that you have is amazing. And again, we could probably give testimony today of what God has done with the little that we've offered Him and that we've trusted Him with. God can do amazing things. The question is, will you give it to Him? He can multiply things in your life, and He can supply needs. Now, I can look back on my life, and I can say that God has always been faithful. In our lives, He's always been faithful to supply the need, even though in my mind I don't see it, but God has always supplied it. And God is always faithful to do His part, but our part is to trust and obey. And God will do His part. So He can multiply things in our life. He can multiply your influence. He can multiply your influence. He can multiply your witness and use you to meet the needs of the many lost around you. You know, we often apply these verses to a monetary viewpoint, but there's much more uh, things of importance to God, and that's the souls of men. And He wants us to have a great influence on the lives that well, we come in contact with, that we might share with them the truth of Jesus Christ, that they might come to the saving knowledge of Him. So we find ourselves up against greater needs than we have the resources to meet. We don't have to do miracles. God does the miracle. We simply need to trust and obey. And I'll leave you with this verse, James 1.22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So we have a great admonishment here this morning that we must trust and obey God. What does the, the hymn tell us? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. May we be faithful to do that as we consider these thoughts this morning. Heavenly Father, we're thankful today for the word of God. We're thankful for the truths that we find therein. We're thankful for Jesus Christ coming and giving of Himself that we might have salvation through Him. And Father, we're thankful that we have an opportunity now to live for You. And Father, I believe that there are many, many things that You want to do through us, and it's only us that's holding You back. And Father, I pray that You'd help us to yield ourselves to You, that we would simply trust and obey, and allow You to do many, many marvelous works through us that You desire to do to reach the lost and dying around us. Father, I pray that you just have your will and way as we go through this series of lessons. Teach us and remind us of biblical truth that we might become strengthened once again and renewed in the Word of God, that we might be faithful to you in all that we do. I pray for the service to follow. Speak again to our hearts, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.